March Madman, the podcast that aims to answer the question, what is the greatest horror movie ever made? Set up like a ghastly imitation of the NCAA basketball tournament, we'll be pairing films in a series of death matches to see which one reigns supreme in each subgenre of horror. Season one of our macabre competition focuses on the haunted house film. And we're currently in the process of selecting our 32 contestants for the first tournament. 16 films were chosen in our last show. And tonight, we'll debate which movies will take the final 16 spots in our competition. As always, I am John Evans, and I'm joined by my two incredible co-hosts, Vikram Wheat, the screenwriter extraordinaire and reality TV impresario, Rich Eckersley. <laughs> How are you guys? No, I got to work on my title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, uh, you can definitely upgrade your title at, at, at any point, Rich. Uh, feel free okay. to let me know what, what the bio. I could read a little bio for each of you guys. <laughs> that, can, that can be an offline conversation. Yeah. Yeah, but we are the March Mad Men. How are you gentlemen doing tonight? John, I'm a little upset about a bad sexual episode I had last night. <laughs> Did you sprain your hand again? <laughs> Why do you uh, want to tell John about it? <laughs> I'm well, well, Rich, you were there, so <laughs> I think you know. Well, anyways, I don't. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get into it on the podcast, guys. Sorry. I, um, <laughs> no, uh, John, I'm doing uh, very well. I am. I remain. Speaking of sexual episodes, just really excited to tackle this podcast and, and this topic. And I just want to say, John, this is you that you are bringing your A game to the introductions, man. You you fucking nailed that. I love it. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, like you, I am fully engorged and ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, how about you, man? What are you at, at half mast or what's the deal tonight? I'm fine. <laughs> uh, that feels like a semi chub. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 riding a little low tonight. Come I'm coming off another illness. I feel like I was ill when we were doing the Halloween podcast as well. I'm coming mm. off it again. Uh, it could be COVID nineteen. We don't know, but it seems like I'm on the other side of it. So uh, every day above ground is a good day. Hell yeah, man. Amen. Well, at least if we get quarantine, we can just watch movies all day every day. There you go. <laughs> and and podcast, frankly, because I I don't have to see any of you guys. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We can't infect each other. That's right. Except through our minds. Uh, I do. Have, I do, I will say I have house guests right now. Uh, my mother in law and uh, my my wife's aunt. And when I told them I was going upstairs to do the podcast, the the aunt just went, "Podcast? What's a podcast?" <laughs> wow. Well, she and that's needs our to get target hit. demographic. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Uh, well, see, there's still, um, you know, there's still demographics that we have yet to tap. So the show That's is right. still growing. We're going to get there. This is going to be the show that does it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, in case uh, anyone wants to hear a quick recap of the first 16 movies that we uh, chose last time around, I will give you the rundown in R, Lake Mungo, The Shining, Below, The Devil's Backbone, Session 9, Poltergeist, Oculus, Terrified, Paranormal Activity, The Innkeepers, Under the Shadow, The Haunting, The Orphanage, The Pact, The Woman in Black, and What Lies Beneath. And in our maybe pile are 1408, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, Hausu, Stir of Echoes, and The Black Coat's Daughter. And the maybe section are films that didn't really have enough support to definitely get in the game, uh, but we haven't ruled them out. So let's see how tonight's conversation goes, and maybe we'll double back to them towards the end. But uh, let's pick up where we left off. I actually uh, don't recall whose turn it is, but I, I know that I did not nominate that many movies, uh, and we got to 16, so I could start if that's okay with you guys. This is one that I don't think I'm going to get a lot of argument on based on looking at uh, your guys' prelim lists, <laughs> but it's A Tale of Two Sisters. This is um, an amazing Korean film from the early part of this century. It takes a beautiful, romantic, virtuoso approach to the ghost story in constructing an intricate, not entirely decipherable horror <laughs> that you mm. mostly kind of take in and understand in waves of really striking imagery. And the movie leaves me with a, a sense of deep sorrow and, and yet a real joy in, in the tragic beauty of our brief, meaningless lives. That's a ringing endorsement, John. I, I don't know how to argue with that. I mean, look, I think I, I agree with you. It's also on my list. So you've got your vote. It's in. We've got number yes. 17. Check. All right. I think it's on Rich's list, too, by the way. Yeah. I did, I did put it on my list. I, I have stuff to say about it, but I feel like Vic was really winding up for something great. So here you go, Vic. Don't disappoint us. Yeah, I was. And you cut me the fuck off, Rich, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um. <laughs> that makes the dialogue um. realistic, Vic. <laughs> I, um, uh, yeah, I mean, what I, what I, was, what I wanted to say was uh, there is this period of film that is generally known as J-horror, even though I feel like the films come from all different areas of Asia. And so it's a little reductive to sort of to, to use that term, but that's the term that we have, so that's what we use. Um, it, I love it. I, I love all the imagery that comes out of it. I think that the cultural pieces coming specifically out of the originals, I feel like the remakes, a lot of the edges get uh, get softened and it doesn't have a lot of the same punch that some of these original films, this, this film was remade, I think, as The Uninvited, which was not very good, and you'll notice is not on anyone's list. And by and large, I just think that's true. But this is another one of those movies that they do have, like you said, that, that they don't fit together in that neat narrative way that I think a lot of American horror films do. And the imagery is so striking. I just – I remember the the dinner party scene when the woman is having the seizure – and they, you actually wind up sort of flashing back to it and seeing the the 
image of the woman under the the I don't know credenza or whatever in the dining room. It's horrifying. It's a really scary movie, and and yeah, it, it fits right in there with Juwan and the Ring and the Eye and probably some other movies that we might be talking about later on. They were doing really interesting things. Uh, at that time, and a lot of it was stuff that American audiences hadn't seen before, and this is a good example of it. I feel like the hook of this movie is that it does have a great twist um, that you hit at about the what the like the three quarter point of the movie. Um, I, you know, the only strike that I'd say that maybe I have against it is that everything that kind of followed that great twist, what did fall in the indecipherable category for me, uh, maybe watching it again will bring some of that to light. Um, but I was really enjoying it. I felt really drawn in when they kind of pulled the rug out from under you. And, you know, after that, like, I'm not totally sure what the story meant, but they did a great job of building the story up to that point. I loved how patient the movie was. It it really looks like it's like 15 years older than it actually is. If I remember correctly, it's from like the early to like mid 2000s. It looks like it's something from the 90s. 2003. I'm not sure if that's the platform or the availability or the print or or whatever, because I distinctly remember seeing it at the time or, you know, within a year or so of that, whenever it it kind of made its way here uh, and thinking that it was much, much, I don't know if the sharper is the word, but like it it felt like a a pristine, cinematic, beautiful uh, film. And when I watched it, you know, recently for, for our show, I felt like, uh, I don't know. I mean, is this HD or is it, it just kind of, sometimes I remember being very angry when we first started doing this show at, for instance, shutter, um, and kind of the quality of some of the prints that they would use. So I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's what you're referring to, like kind of the look and the aesthetic of it. But I, I'm pretty damn sure that originally, you know, like if this was a Criterion release or something that we were getting, it, it would be um, much more vibrant. That's very interesting. Yeah, I do feel like it was sort of a filmic quality, um, like the actual just visual itself, um, combined with the fact that like it's it, the whole thing takes place in this sort of like austere, like country home. Um, so it feels a little bit timeless. Yes. Uh, in a sense, but um, I don't know. Maybe it's one of those movies that's worth seeking out on Blu-ray or something um, to see what a better print looks like. Yeah, I mean, maybe if we... Um, let's see where our, our little competition goes, but I might I might want to invest in that because I do... I love this movie and, you know, kind of echoing Vic's sentiments. I, I think that it's just as scary as any of the so-called classics. I mean, not even so-called. They are the classics of J-horror that were so influential. Um, and I, uh, at the same time, I can see your point, Rich, because I did feel watching it again, which is at least the third time I've seen this movie overall. Like, I, I was like, am I still lost? Like, I've seen this movie three times, and I still don't really know... Um, what's going on in that, in the third act. And some of the connections are a little opaque and in a part of that also, it could be subtitles, you know, it could be sometimes translations are pretty rough uh, on some of these films. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, but it's definitely one that I, I have some hope that if we, if we do kind of give it more of a microscope that I, I could actually sort of 
figure it out in some way and, and, and that could elevate it to another level. Because I, I do feel like all the puzzle pieces are there and maybe it's one of those movies that the audience needs to put them together. And, and as I've said, you know, there's some things that might be conspiring to make that more difficult for American audiences than, than it should be. But we'll see. I'm, I'm glad that everyone's on board with it. So I can put it in, right? It's 17? Do it. 17. All right. Updating my document. <laughs> okay. That's right. It's a podcast about documents, people. <laughs> <laughs> we got Google Docs, everyone. I'm going to go with what I guess is sort of like a, a modern, I don't know about a classic's probably a strong word, but maybe a modern touchstone. And that is The Conjuring. Um, which was, uh, this is James Wan, right? I believe Correct. so, yeah. As mm-hmm. the director, yeah, okay. For me, in, in some, you know, obviously they had other hits beforehand, but in a, in a way it really cemented Blumhouse as sort of like the modern mainstream voice of horror and did a lot, obviously launched the whole like Conjuring universe, like Annabelle um, and multiple Conjuring sequels. And I think there have been others, right? There was the nun that was supposed to be, horrendous it's got a whole universe that goes along with it it is a pretty straightforward tale of a family that moves into a new home and is haunted by a maleficent spirit and it is the uh, forgive me what's the name of the the couple that investigates the, the warrens the warrens thank you the warrens based on the the real life ghost investigators who come in and sort of bring a, a fresh dynamic i think to the to the haunted house a story where they're trying to help out this family and there's sort of these like warm, like red blooded American uh, couple um, who have their, you know, their own troubles at home. Um, it's just a solid haunted house movie uh, that, that goes along with some pretty like decent modern scares. And, you know, I feel like, like uh, James Wan, like including, you know, the original saw and like the, the other work that he's done in modern horrors just like is just, just a kind of a rock solid director. It does have a few cat scares um, mm. scattered throughout. Um, it's not a perfect movie, but it is sort of the template for the type of horror movie that we're seeing at this point in time. And there's something to be said for that. Rich, I'm going to jump in just to because this it's interesting that you that you mentioned this is a Blumhouse movie because this actually isn't a Blumhouse movie. This is actually really Warner not. Brothers and New Line. It's really not, but it so apes the aesthetic of Blumhouse. And Juan was coming off of Insidious, which was obviously sort of a Blumhouse movie. I believe he did Insidious too as well. So it, again, it, it totally makes sense. This was, I think, Warner Brothers in in. New Line, which I think is a subsidiary. This was, I think, them trying to glob onto that. Uh, you know, they they see the 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 money being made and they want a piece of that. But this is actually budgeted at twenty million dollars too, and I think you can see that. I mean, it's period. There's there's something to it that that is a little bit glossier. Uh, I agree. I, I I feel like I have a little more quibbles with sort of the specifics of the the horror and the story and some of the turns that the plots, the plot takes, mm-hmm. but the, the hand clapping game is a, a really one of those genius inventions and, in, in, in sort of roping that into the story. I mean, that made this one of the most effective trailers that I can remember in a yeah. long time. And it's got a great cast. I mean, you know, we all think of uh, Vera Farmiga and, and Patrick Wilson, but also Ron Livingston and Lily Taylor and yeah, like James Wan knows how to direct this stuff. 
there's a reason it made so much money. Um, it's a it's a pretty good movie. And honestly, I've heard I haven't caught up on all the sequels. I've heard that the Annabelle movies get better as they go along. And I know some people who rave about them, uh, uh, about uh, the last one. So uh, they 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 really they've created a universe where they're letting some people play with some interesting ideas and maybe make better movies. Kind of like Blumhouse did with stuff like uh, like Ouija, for instance, where they the sequels actually sort of improved on it. I got a feeling that might come up later. But yeah, I, this is also on my list. Uh, I don't think it's going to win, but I do think it's one that's worth talking about. Mike Kuchek rather famously preferred The Matrix 2 to the first one. And I don't know if this is that level of controversial, but I think I actually like The Conjuring 2 more than this movie. And Whoa. Vic, yes, yes. Vic, you, you referenced it. I remember the trailer being breathlessly passed around by my horror fan friends. And I admit, the whole clapping game sequence is pretty damn good. But yeah, maybe it's just me, but for the most part, I thought this movie was pretty weak sauce. It's again, here's a, our drinking game, a horror movie for normies. We've got to add that to the drinking game list. It but, is, but... Yeah. But that's but is that even such a bad thing? And you know, I'd have to check my my timelines on this. But I feel like they were kind of doing what Mike Flanagan came along and mm-hmm. and perf- and perfected. Not that he was the first to do it, but it's like the family feels very real and relatable, and you know that the time period like actually feels like it's it, it serves like a, a purpose in terms of um, you know just like how they're interacting with each other and how close everyone is. Like, and w- which is something that I feel like those relationships is something that, that Flanagan has managed to really make a hallmark of his movies is how relatable everybody is. Um, and so I feel like they do a good job there. I agree that like the, the horror, I can't even specifically remember any of the real horror other than the hand clapping thing. But I remember it being a decent ride. I want to throw this out there because I agree, John, I, I think horror, this is horror for normies is 100%. We might not have to come up with a better a better name for them, but uh, uh, <laughs> horror. This is horror for normies. I know exactly what you mean, and that's a perfect descriptor of this. I think as we go through these bottom sixteen, most of the, or let's say sixteen through thirty-two, most of these movies are probably not really in contention uh, to win the whole prize. Doesn't mean none of them are. You never know, and there's going to be a Cinderella story. But most of them aren't going to be. But what's going to be really interesting to me as we go through this process will be seeing what the qualities of these movies have that tease out other things in the other movies that they're paired against. And so I think having some movies that really speak to broad commercial appeal, putting this up against, you know, how Sue, it'll be interesting to see what the what the dynamics are when we have to discuss those two movies up against each other. I think that's a very valid point, and you guys both make points that I, I'm i not going to you know, fight this too hard because this is somewhat, as Rich said, kind of a, a landmark film or, or a template, as it were. And I do want to say that I don't hate all horror movies for, for normies, and, and I want a quick uh, aside here, hat tip. I, I did get that. From And I hope there's some uh, overlap in our, our listenership here, but there's a great horror movie podcast called The Final Guys, and they're all horror – well, two out of the three guys are horror writers. 
and um, that's the first time I, I heard that. So uh, the, the you know term normies. So uh, props to that. And if you guys aren't listening to that show, I recommend that you do. But I will say that I can sometimes appreciate those. Like the Ring remake with Naomi Watts was a PG thirteen movie, and I, I saw I actually saw that with my mother. And I had a, a row of uh, I probably mentioned this before on the podcast, but I, I, maybe I didn't. There was a row of teenage girls behind us. And when certain things happened, like I, I yelped like a little girl, just like they did <laughs> in the theater. <laughs> and I was embarrassed, but it got me. And I, I really kind of love that movie. Hey, there's Savannah. Hello, Savannah. She, she agrees. It's a scary movie. So I am not impervious to mainstream horror, but I, I don't know. Like I will, I will say now, and I think it'll be, this is definitely one that I think it's worth giving it its day in court. But I think The Conjuring is massively overrated. Can I, you know, move on that opinion? Potentially, maybe. So um, let's put it in there. But that's going to be one that I think is going to have to to stand up to some scrutiny. All right, that seems fair. You don't feel about mainstream horror the way you do about Nordic films. Oh. <laughs> well, Vic, Sorry, do we? Giving, do we? I'm giving. I'm giving John some shit because we had a disagreement about a certain Icelandic horror film that uh, was not John's cup of tea. Well, let's out with it. You mentioned it, Vic. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not using my nomination on this. I don't have. We don't have to get into it because I don't feel that strongly about it. I just think you have a strong anti-Nordic bias. <laughs> totally untrue. But yeah. uh, this. I mean, we should t- <laughs> at least tell people what the movie is. <laughs> the movie is a. There's a, a what I thought was a, a very interesting, moody, Icelandic ghost story called I Remember You. It's streaming on Netflix. I recommend you check it out. It takes a little while to get going. It's very character-based. I thought the narrative takes some very cool twists in the second, uh, the second act. And the, the third act, I thought, had some very scary moments. For those playing at home, I knew that this was on Vic's list. I was going to watch it, and then John on our – you know, on our message thread, uh, was giving Vic so much shit that I said, maybe I shouldn't watch it. Then I asked Vic, like, should I watch it? And Vic was sort of like, as don't bother. It's, so it, felt, it felt like your heart was in it that much, Vic. Come on. Yeah, it's fair to say that the film was defecated upon, and Vic, <laughs> Vic did not stand up for it very passionately. Look, you you have to you have to pick your battles, all right. You just yes. have to pick your battles. But anyways, I'm just saying the black coat's daughter is in the maybe pile, and and uh, I feel like this is maybe stronger than Ooh. that. Anyways. Oh, I have I have Ooh. I have things to say about black coat's daughter, but we'll yeah. get there. Yeah, no, right. I mean, uh, look, I, I think we, we might end up having a conversation that compares the Black Coat's daughter to I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, and I don't think that's a favorable comparison for I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, Rich. So let's, well, uh, let's get well, to that. Well, one of them is actually a haunted house movie, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, technicalities. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, so uh, Vic, what is your nominee you know what? I, so my nominee, and this is uh, this, I think, is also actually going to be a little controversial because this came up a lot in our uh, early discussions on our on our tweet threads. But I actually think this is a contender. I think this is an exceptional haunted house film that is criminally underseen. It is the Changeling with George C. Scott, directed by Peter Medek. 
Medak? Medak, I believe. Medak. Um, and uh, this is, uh, so you're talking 1980. This is one of the older films on our list. I found it terrifying. The first time I watched it, I still find it incredibly scary. Uh, George C. Scott is a, the, a widower who lost his, his wife and child in a car accident. He somehow decides to move into a giant house. Uh, he's a composer, I believe. Yes. Yeah. He, he moves into this giant house uh, where he's uh, near the college where he's teaching at and, and quickly discovers some strange goings on in the house. Uh, some really powerful imagery with the the second appearance of the creepy old style wheelchair, uh, which we saw in session nine, uh, some sort of classic scares. But I also find a little bit like the way that Below is a haunted house movie married to a World War II submarine movie. I feel like this is a haunted house movie married to a bit of a political thriller, and I think that that like Below. The, the 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 thriller element of it, the mystery that he's uncovering around this very powerful senator and what it has to do with the ghost in the house is a really a, a really good story by itself. And when you throw in these these really terrific scares uh, and the the mood and the performances, Melvin Douglas, I think is the is Senator Carmichael. Uh, it's a, it's a, I think it's a great movie. If you had told me that this was the first haunted house movie ever made, um, I would almost believe you. (laughs) Despite, despite the fact, like the fact that it was made in 1980, this movie hits every single horror movie cliche, but in a way that makes you think maybe it's the first time they ever did it. You know, everything from the you know, ghost throws a ball down the steps to remind him of his, his dead child. And then he, you know, he takes it and throws it in a river and then comes back and the ball is back. The thing where they do a seance and they're running the tape recorder. And then later on, he's listening to the tape recorder and wait, there's a voice in the background. Like, it's just like classic trope after classic trope. I don't say that in a bad way. I found this to be pretty enjoyable. I like this movie. My memory of it, because I did see it once uh uh, many many years ago was that it was very boring and it is slow but in a way that you can get into like it definitely has that you know it has the more plotting pace of a movie from the 70s it is a fairly isolated performance the effects can be a little stodgy like the the wheelchair that moves around um on its own is a, is a little hokey it's older so you have to like cut it a little bit of slack i'd say overall the story built it was a classic ghost story i liked it not to tangent too far here, but I mean, it's part of the, the larger conversation. How do we feel about this subgenre in, in general? Compared to zombie movies or slasher movies, I, I would say haunted house movies, like while they have some high highs, like this is not a subgenre that I particularly love. I find it filled with hoary old cliches, which is something that I think Rich was touching on there. And I, you know, I think that the run of the mill haunted house movie is something like I would much rather watch a run of the mill slasher or zombie movie, or I wouldn't go so far as to say possession and devils and demons, uh, because some of those are really, really bad. But like, this is not in my top five of subgenres. So I think I bring that to the table. And when you're saying, Rich, that this feels, you know, I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but 
you know, to build on that. In my opinion, I feel that this movie feels very familiar. And, and, and yeah, it's 1980. It just, it pushes my buttons. And it, it because it feels like it is, is tropey. It's so filled with, and it doesn't undermine the tropes. It's very traditional and old school. And there's no really, you know, kind of dismantling or playing with or subverting tropes the way, you know, this isn't a haunted house movie, but the way that the the ring subverts the idea of what a ghost wants. Like this is actually, that's a very relevant. That's a point. good title. <laughs> <laughs> what a ghost wants. Yeah. <laughs> what a ghost wants. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Rich. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody should jump on that. Maybe one of us. Well, well, John, I mean, I would argue that number one, I think that, this is one of the movies that creates really feeds into the the tropes that were subverted again 10 20 years later when we started to to really see that sort of thing in uh, in horror films and then as as to the genre as a whole i mean i think what you find and this is something i always felt as a writer is that american horror films in particular have a very concrete set of rules that they're supposed to abide by uh, and I always found that frustrating and a little constricting. And so, I mean, you know, it's there's a house. There was a tragedy in the house. The ghost needs to accomplish something. There's a lot of the supernatural as providence trying to right some wrong that happened in the house or the hospital or the whatever the whatever the place is. There's always the issue of how do you isolate the people in the house, which often winds up being kind of silly. But I think when you look at the – especially the movies that, that we've already picked here, what you find is that what stands out is, okay, so this is a story – I mean the, the Haunted Inn is a story that goes back you know, 200 years. I mean M.R. James was doing it. I mean that's what the monk is basically. And so you're, you're, you're taking a, 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 an archetype for a story and then finding things that, that you can add on to it that make it interesting. What is, you know, if you, it's a below is a haunted house movie told through the lens of a world war two submarine movie. Um, the innkeepers is a haunted house movie, but told through the lens of a mumblecore movie under the shadow has this, this amazing sort of cultural influence of being set during the Iran Iraq war. Um, and so there's, I feel like there's a, there's a lot of, it's not just, a, a a good story well told. Uh, I don't think that's really going to make the cut when we're when we're really get to the 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 cream of the crop here. It's what are the elements? What are you bringing to the table? What are you doing differently? What's the spin that you're putting on it? Because I think that is really what what makes it stand apart and makes them seem exceptional. And for me, in this again, this is you could almost argue coming as it does in 1980. This is almost an extension of the sort of 70s paranoia films, if you think about the Parallax View, Three Days of the Condor, the Frankenheimer Seconds, even even Invasion of the Body Snatchers. These were all different takes on politics and power and lies and what's, you know, conspiracies and that kind of stuff. And that's really what you have going on underneath this very traditional haunted house film. Cover-ups and, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That, that is definitely a part of this movie. And I do want to say that I did mock it when we were kicking around our original list of nominees. And after watching it again for this show, I will admit that was not entirely fair. It, it is a good movie. And I think some of the, a lot of the things that you're saying 
I, I don't disagree with, and I think those are, are excellent points. And, and But all of those statements make the case for it being a good movie. It's just not a scary movie to me anyway. And I know you said, you, you definitively said that, that you find it scary, and I think that's great, and, and it is subjective. Um, and I, do, I will say that the ending is pretty wild. And it does raise some kind of interesting, rather dark questions about everything that preceded it. And it doesn't necessarily answer those questions. But I like the note that the film ends on, which I do think is something I I very much look for. But I just want to say, overall, I found it fairly dated. And I must say, I have no real strong desire to see it again, to study it more closely. So that that would only be my present indictment of it being here and and moving on. I'm glad I saw it again, and I do have more respect for it. But I don't, personally, I don't know that watching it yet another time is going to unlock mysteries for me. So that's 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 kind of how I feel about it. Well, too fucking bad because Rich voted for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rich, watch it again, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rich, I let's will say, weigh in, man. So, so I'll say first of all, Vic, I thought that was a lovely tirade and made a, several good points. Here's what I'll say about the subgenre without getting into the movie, and I will. This will be a, a much shorter pitch for it. I agree with you that it is not my favorite subgenre. It is not the thing that I would reach to. Um, it also had a, a lot of movies that were considered, you know, the landmark films of the subgenre that I had never seen, which made it an enjoyable exploration for me. And one of the things that attracted me to, to doing this one in the first place. Um, the other thing is that I did genuinely notice, you know, maybe this says more about me than anything else. The nights that I watched these movies tend to be the nights that uh, that my wife who works nights um, is out because she doesn't enjoy watching this stuff late at night. And more so than other horror movies, I did find myself after haunted house movies going to bed and checking things like, hmm. oh, the closet door's a little open. Like, <laughs> maybe I should shut that before I go to sleep. It did have a way of creeping into my consciousness far more than I think a slasher movie does, which mm-hmm. I view almost as like a, a, a farce version of horror. So I have enjoyed going through the, the subgenre. And yeah, I agree. Like, so something like The Changing does feel a little dated, but like, it's from 1980. You know, there's a lot of horror movies that we have batted around that go that happened much earlier than 1980. And none of them are on this list because films change over time and movies feel dated because time has passed and things that are just cinematic that were cinematically frightening at one point just aren't capable of having the same impact. Now, for some reason, dramas seem to be able to stand up to time much better than like horror or comedy does. And that's like an, a sort of an unfair thing that I think levy against the film. I think you have to look at it and ask yourself in terms of like the, the vacuum that this movie was made in, like, did it fulfill that potential? And I think that this movie is probably a pretty good example. I mean, you could also argue that The Shining was made right around the same time, right? Yes, I was going to say that. <laughs> okay. So that, that would certainly be the counter argument for all you Shining heads out there. But <laughs> I guess I stand somewhere between you and Vic. That's not a safe place to be, Rich. <laughs> I, I'd say I only have a couple other movies that I really feel passionate about. I wouldn't say I feel passionate about this one, but I, I 
feel like Vic's pick here is worth more of a vote than you're giving it. Yeah, I, I'm. Look, I'm not gonna totally stand in the way. If if you're gonna sign off, Rich, let's let's put it in. But I did want to say that you raised a point there that I want to double back to, which is at, I alluded to this when I said the highest highs apply to this haunted house subgenre, and I think that it comes back to Jaws. You know, we all go to the beach. We've all been in the water. We're all like immediately able to plug into the fear of that. Well, we can plug into the fear of our own home being somehow violated by spirits that have been there longer than we have and how terrifying that is because this is your refuge. This is where you go to get away from the dangers of the world. You're supposed to be safe and there's nothing more insidious than like while you sleep, while you're vulnerable, these things are at work, at play, and, you know, escalating around you in your own home. And I do think that, don't get me wrong, I think that at its best, this genre is right there at the top of the scariest, especially, as you said, Rich, compared to, like, a slasher movie where, I mean, yeah, I think there is a genuine fear of the fact that, like, any of us, it's more likely let's say right off the top that you or I are going to be murdered by a slasher than by a ghost. Like, <laughs> cause ghosts aren't real. Like I let's, I'll go so far as to say that, but, and, and you know, insane men with weapons whoa, 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 are whoa, real. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Sorry. That's a, that's a conversation to get into later, <laughs> but let's just say for the sake of argument, it's more likely that some psycho with a weapon will kill you or I than a vengeful spirit. All right. So occupying, you know, that ground here, slasher movies always have, I think an intrigue, but I think just sort of the vulnerability that we feel of having our, you know, the sanctity of the home violated and, and potentially by things that we can't even comprehend, let alone fight. I think there's a real power to that. And and so I don't want to take away from that. I'm just saying that so many of these movies are uh, extremely old fashioned and they recycle so many of the same tropes and stuff, you know, like almost along the lines of my criticism, if we were to have this subgenre and it'll be a part of a larger subgenre, it won't be its own, but like possession movies are so laden with, you know, the power of Christ compels you and, and you yeah. know, and some little girl in a nightgown, you know, on a bed, like it, it's so prescribed. That's my problem with it. So I just wanted to, to say that, but I think I, I will and my soliloquy with, uh, yeah, the changeling, it's in. Fuck you, but it's in. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, John, just because you said that, I know I'm dating the podcast a bit, but I just want to jump in and say a quick RIP to Max von Sydow, who uh, passed away today. Oh, uh, oh did he? Oh, wow, I yes, didn't hear that. Most, most famously uh, playing Father Marin in The Exorcist. I mean, file that under not surprising, but man, I love the fact that that guy has has been alive up until March of 2020. You know, because yeah, wow, what a what a career he's had. So, someone someone pointed out played Jesus for Igmar Bergman and played Satan in Needful Things. I mean, that's range. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan, and that's I'm glad you noted that, Vic. Yeah. We don't, we don't have to go too too far down that, but no. Let's. Uh, I, I want twenty minutes about Max von Sydow. Go. This could, is just this is just Vic. Minutes. Vic is just reaching to get Bergman in the podcast again. <laughs> we get it, Vic. 
You've seen Bergman films. <laughs> All right. Five minutes of chess with death. Go. All right. <laughs> well, we're back from our bathroom break, and we've refilled our beverages. Uh, Vic, what do you have in front of you, sir? Gentlemen, I'm, I'm classing up the joint here. I've got a little Glenlivet 12. I don't know if you can hear my, my ice cubes oh, tinkling. Yes. I do take it on the rocks. Nice. Uh, yes, I'm doing a, little, doing a little scotch tonight. We'll see how that goes. Wow, man. Well, that's cool. I actually, up to this point, I've been drinking uh, a very obscure, uh, at least you know for us, in Angelino's, Journeyman Distillery Not a King Whiskey, which is uh, very smooth, very delicious. Ah. I, I got this from um, Kim's cousin, who is a gentleman and a scholar. He gave it to me for Christmas. It's delicious. Uh, Rich, what are you drinking? Is it Fresca tonight, or what What are you on? I've got red wine and beef stew. <laughs> All right. Nice. Surprisingly, when you mix the two together, they can be quite appealing. <laughs> I'm picturing you stirring wine into your soup. and just... Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Rich, this this really isn't a wine podcast. I don't know. Uh, uh, I'm trying to turn like it, a, I'm trying to turn it into one. You don't have like a like a white claw you can grab or something or a zima. Oh God! <laughs> this, so what you're telling me is that this is a white claw podcast? It's a white claw world, Rich. At this yeah, point, I guess so. Seltzer drinks. They're all the rage. I, I know. I wish I could invest in them. The the figure was something like three billion dollars had been spent mm-hmm. on uh, hard seltzer last year. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sam Adams uh, stock ticker S A M is probably your best bet if anybody is interested in getting in on that. Of course, after the you know the depression is over. Uh, oh right. God! <laughs> Buy low, John. Buy low. Now's the time. Yeah. I don't want to date our podcast, but uh, the stock market has not been uh, great lately. Uh, you know what people do when they're scared, John? They drink. <laughs> they watch horror movies. Oh, wait, they their wa- life is a horror movie. They watch horror movies. <laughs> well, let's right. not dwell on things that hopefully will be blown over in a month. But uh... Yeah, someone, someone choose a movie. I want to eat stew and listen to you. <laughs> I think it's your. I think it's your turn, Rich. No, I think it's John's turn. No, it is my turn. Yeah. Ah, shit. John's right. turn. Sorry. No, I, I didn't. I didn't mean to say that out loud. Well, yeah. Take a, take a fifteen minute nap, Vic. <laughs> <laughs> Save your strength. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I think it's it's come up over and over, and here it is: Ouija, Origin of Evil, directed by Mike Flanagan. He's front and center here as the filmmaker, um, as he does his patented thing uh, that Rich alluded to earlier, which is making elevating the character stories to such a degree that they make relatively familiar or undistinguished genre elements feel a lot more powerful and more resonant and we're more invested in them than they normally would be. And I mean, that's his gift and he's certainly it's on full display in this like sequel to a movie that nobody cared about in the first place. I will say I'm probably not his biggest fan. And I think that this is my personal favorite of the films I've seen of his not compared to, you know, a couple of specific haunting of Hill house episodes, which are better and are amazing. But, you know, maybe compared against that series as a whole, I did not love the ending of it. So I think that this brings the booze. It is not the not the alcohol, the scares. 
Um, it's genuinely scary and very striking. It has some great imagery and takes things in, in different directions while being classical. So uh, I definitely think it belongs, and I think you guys both had it on your list. So um, slam dunk, right? <laughs> I just wanted to let the, the silence hang for a second. Yeah. Leave me hanging, Rich. I'm going to jump in there. Um <laughs> No, I agree. I also think this is a strong movie. I have a weird affinity for movies where they get better as they make sequels. But I I heard that Blumhouse basically liked Flanagan coming off of Oculus and sort of said, look, you seem to be good at this. Can you just make a Ouija movie? And it doesn't have to have any connection to this. Just do your thing and make whatever you want. And this was sort of the story that he came up with. And so I love the idea that once they had the money off of the first one, which which was profitable, they were able to then take that and say, okay, now that we've demonstrated that we can make money off of the Ouija board, uh, how can we use that to tell a story that's, you know, that that actually has some, some depth and something that people can invest in. And that's exactly what he does. I mean, the characters are great. I think his, his work with in relationship with uh, uh, Carla uh, Gugino, am mm-hmm. I saying that right? Yeah. They really work well together. And actually, Henry Thomas, too. I mean, those are regular players for him, but Haunting well, They're not in this House, movie. It should be noted. <laughs> uh, no, that's not true. Carla Gugino's the, the mother. What? And Henry and Henry Thomas is the priest. And what? Really? Oh, yeah, well. hang on. Let me, let, me not, let me not make an asshole out of myself, but... I know it also shares a cast member with one of the kids from um, Hill House, too. A podcast about documents and searching for things on the Internet. <laughs> Henry Thomas is the priest, but I guess the mom is Elizabeth Reiser. Okay. Sorry, I don't know why I had that in my head that that was Carla Cucina. It's cool. I named The Conjuring as a Blumhouse film. I, I thought, Rich, that it was, too. So Blumhouse was successful, sort of profitable with the first Ouija movie, but it was really terrible. And so they uh, were happy with Flanagan coming off of Oculus, and they really just turned this property over to him. And were like, look, we're going to make another one. Why don't we make it good? Like, just you don't, you, you, you don't have any obligation to connect it to the original story. Just take this and do your own thing with it. And that's exactly what he did. And so he, he brings all the, the elements that we've talked about to it. I think it has a really strong cast. I think you see Doug Jones, who everybody loves, of course, uh, especially in the in the genre world, and uh, it's a it's a strong movie that I also think gets gets scarier as it goes. I think a lot of what we've seen here is the uh, among the the best haunted house films. There seems to be a frequent motif of slow burns and establishing character and mood early. And then really digging into the scares later on. I, I remember this having a very, uh, a very frightening third act. Interesting, because my recollection of this movie, and I have not rewatched it for the podcast. I saw it a couple of years ago, I guess, is that that's where the movie kind of lost me. Like, I felt like the thing that made it unique, which was like the characters and the relationship between the two sisters and the single mom, like all that kind of got lost in like a muddled mess of... You know, like, oh, now we have to find the, you know, the the secret room where terrible things happened and, 
and there's lots of like mysterious like screaming and imagery like i just were feeling like i kind of devolved into horror movie nonsense at the end and i could be wrong maybe i'll watch it again and feel differently and i also came into this movie a strange way where i had just heard a lot about it that everyone was like you know the crazy thing about ouija origin of evil is that it's actually good and then i got interested in, in flanagan stuff and eventually found my way to that movie expecting a lot and so I felt like I was a little let down. So I may have overhyped myself going into it. I certainly feel like it's a strong entry in terms of this era of Haunted House movie and that the characters elevate it. But I'm not sure horror-wise what it really brought to the table that was going to, that's going to impress me when I watch it again. This is a really fascinating one because I think its range of outcomes is, is huge. Not to throw an actual basketball... <laughs> metaphor into into this but i mean it it feels like one of those scrappy lower seeds that could absolutely make a run um as we revisit it um i think it has the potential to even impress rich i mean i think he's open to it and i think we could we could end up liking it a lot more or it could completely flame out you know so i'm i'm definitely intrigued by its its possibilities here but I, I think I see I see what Rich is saying, and that's going to be one that its fate is is not yet determined. But I think clearly it's it's in uh, at this point. So moving on and back to you, Rich. Uh, yeah, sure. Why don't we go for it and go ahead and have this conversation? So I'm going to throw out I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. This is a movie with very scant story. It is directed by Osgood Perkins, who also recently did Gretel and Hansel and did The Black Coat's Daughter. And he has a, a notorious slow, slow burn style to the point that it has put multiple people on this podcast to sleep um, <laughs> in other movies. So this is a tale of a nurse who moves into a woman's house. She suffers from dementia. I believe she's a retired writer. And it is basically the story of this woman kind of like, uh, I guess, like slowly unlocking the clues of like the, the disturbances in the house. Not much story on this thing. Not a whole lot of meat in the bones. But I got the chance to watch this um, actually on, on headphones um, as close as I can get to like being in a, in a theater in, in my particular household. And I did find the, like the sound design and the patience and the way that it, that it drew you into this very, um, sort of one person story, uh, pretty compelling. And while there weren't a whole lot of scares in it, I did feel like it really built up the, the dread quite a bit. And in terms of this particular director's like slow burn style, it worked for me in that it was only really kind of like building up to unfold one particular story that was disturbing. I feel uh, very much about it the way that I did about the Black Coat's Daughter. It took me a couple times to get through it. I like the voiceover and, and I like the style of it. But boy, it, it's it's just a it's a slow burn that I feel like doesn't build to the kind of payoff that I that I really look for in these kind of movies. It is it is not on my list, Rich. I'm I'm sorry. I I do love Bob Balaban though. So, we'll that <laughs> so do I. So do I. So man. one vote for so, so Bob Balaban is on the list as movie number eighteen. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I like him in Altered States, by the way. Uh, he's, he's, he's very young in that, you know, for him. I, <laughs> I, I will say, since you, since you brought it up, uh, not to jump ahead of you here, John, but sure. um, I did, as part of this podcast, after our previous recording, I went back and watched The Black Coat's Daughter, and I can tell you that definitively that is not a haunted house movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Refresh our memory. Like, yeah, let's deal with that right now. Like, because it's, it's not a house. It's not like, it, or, or what? No, what? it's, it's just, a, it's a demon possession movie. Um, mm. I can see why in memory, like it, it was, it would come off that way because it, it, the whole thing like does take place in this like dormitory of sorts, or she's staying in the, the main character is staying in the house of the, uh, these like two uh they're not nuns maybe they are nuns anyways they're school marms of some kind and then they're watching her over winter break but it's the the movie is very clearly like she is possessed by some demon but it's in, in no way is it like bound to a to a house okay um, i'll take that i mean i yeah. i i will say in rewatching it not to get off off topic i did enjoy the movie uh black coat's daughter it it does like I agree that this guy's style is it's tough, man. Like I like a slow movie, but Jesus, um, <laughs> you know my 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 wife's summary was she was like this is a movie where there's only two kinds of scenes: either someone is like blathering on about something you don't care about, or no one is saying anything and they're just like staring at walls. And like that is pretty much what this guy's movies are. It's unique. I'll give it that. Yeah, yeah. Accessible Oz Perkins is is not. I I definitely see the merits of the Black Coat's daughter, but I think that anything bad you would say about it counts double for I am the pretty <laughs> thing that lives in the house. So unfortunately, Rich, I don't think we have to belabor it, given that Vic has already voted no. I'm just gonna say I found it disappointing, and and my original note on it was, does anything happen? <laughs> <laughs> so there's, and, there's a lot of mold yes, i mean i don't know if that if that counts yes you and, guys sound very demanding <laughs> <laughs> and yeah this is a criticism you could apply to you know in any oz oz perkins movie but um it just yeah it didn't work for me so yeah i think that one that's not uh that's not on the list but uh but thank you rich and it's an intriguing film it just it it doesn't pay off for me. All right, so back to back to you, Vic. Unless Rich wants to make some final um, passionate argument for for this movie. <laughs> no, in concession, the one thing I will say that I while my while it's been a minute since I've seen Pretty Thing, uh, the one thing I did note about Black Coat that that struck me more was that it, it at least it did have these sort of competing timelines and competing storylines. So that you had something that you were, you had a story that you were trying to piece together as the viewer, which engaged you to some extent if you were still awake. And I do remember that pretty thing is kind of just like a straight shot of a, of a story. So I see where you guys are coming from, but um, I still enjoyed my viewing of it. Oz Perkins is attached to direct uh, an adaptation of the novel head full of ghosts. And I'm, I'm really interested to see what he does with that. Cause I think that's got, I've I've only I've only read uh, a bit of that. I haven't finished it yet, but that's got enough plot sort of built into it that putting that style with a story that has a little more oomph, I think, could really work. Damn, Vic, so, that's uh, yeah, that is a, that is an exciting proposition. I, th- I don't love the way that that novel ends, but like the first uh, you know two thirds or maybe one third 
of that just blew me away. So uh, it's definitely one of the more interesting horror novels of the last 10 years. I would love to see that paired with somebody of his uh, formalist style. It, it could be that, that could be a slam dunk. That could be uh, something special, but we'll find out. And uh, by now, some of our listeners already know how it turned out. But what we, they don't know how, what, <laughs> how it turned out is what is Vic's nominee? All right, I'm gonna uh, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and throw out one that I think is is also gonna be an easy selection for us. That is the Korean Vietnam War horror film Our Point, which I actually thought we would get to in part one. I am really anxious to watch this again. I've seen it two or three times, but it's been a long time. And I mostly remember, much like a lot of the Asian horror that we've talked about, there's a lot of very disorienting disjointed storytelling in it but the the basic gist of a platoon of soldiers that went missing in, in a, a, a particular area that the the sort of military reference point is our point and I, I of course always remember that donkey company is the the platoon that went missing and so another platoon is dispatched to find out what happened to them after they start getting transmissions from them like six months later uh, and there's a, a lot of, of sort of fascinating history tied into it. I believe it's a it's sort of a French plantation house that they wind up at. There's this this weirdly disorienting moment when a platoon of American soldiers shows up. And for the next 10 or 15 minutes of the movie, everyone is speaking English because we don't think of Korea as having been our ally in the war, but they were. And so – here we, you know, here the allies show up. And of course, even that takes this very dark and demented turn. I don't think I've seen the horror film paired with the, the haunted house film paired with a war film quite like this. Although I think it is actually going to come up again uh, in one of John's uh, selections. So we may we may wind up revisiting that point. But like I was saying about haunted house movies, getting needing these lenses to get put through. I think this has a really fascinating lens. Uh, it's it's very well shot. It is frequently scary, and I remember feeling disoriented as I was watching it, and kind of like I wasn't sure which way which way was up and who was who was real and who wasn't. It's a a, a really startling and I think very original film. Vic, my recollection of this movie is I don't think I have a whole lot to add on top of, of what you had to say already. Uh, it has been a while since I've seen it. I saw it a couple times back when it came out, which which had to be late 90s, I would guess. Mm, um, no, I think it's this century. Is it? All right. I'm with you. I immediately, as soon as you brought up the, the title, it was I was on board. I just remember being really wowed by the movie when I saw it and finding it, uh, again, terrifying and disorienting were the immediate words that that came to mind. Uh, I'm really excited about watching it again. And I feel strongly enough just off my memory to uh, vote that one in. Yeah. Last time I think we determined that the trend, and this is just kind of a, you know, weird obsessive compulsive thing that I did, but a lot of these movies fall into three to four year windows. And I think our point 2004 falls into one of the, the windows um, that so many of these haunted house films do. I'm a little more ambivalent than you guys on this movie. I'm definitely not going to fight you. Another drinking game is, I look forward to watching this movie again. 
Um, because that's something that, you know, along with Hollow Weekend references and Vic calling me a son of a bitch happens every single show. Um, but I, I just remember really, really looking forward to it because I'm a huge fan of military horror as a subgenre. If only there were enough of them to, to give them a season of, of this show, I would be so thrilled because I, I wish the genre subgenre was, was that healthy. Just there, it's, it's a little more rare and it's, uh, I guess that makes it special, but I do recall being somewhat let down by this movie. I can only remember a couple of standout scenes. Now I've only seen it once. Um, but those scenes, they really do stand out, but the sum of the parts wasn't overwhelmingly impressive to me on one watch, as I recall now. So I, I think that this is definitely in, and I, I, I hope that I fall in love with it, but um, it, it, it does kind of fit the category of disappointing to me, as I recall now. So... We'll, it, we'll see. We'll see. But I think it's it's not a heavyweight contender. All right. So we've got 21 movies approved. And I think, yes, it's back to me at this point, And I am going to do something that I do in almost every single podcast. I, I should really make sure I always have this beer here because it's a tradition <laughs> now. Ballast Points Sculpin IPA. And it is definitely one of my top fives, so uh, it's fitting that I always crack one. Mmm, so refreshing. Okay, moving on. Uh, Paranormal Activity 3 is my next nominee. And I think that um, I will definitely have to rewatch the original Paranormal Activity, which we already sort of uh, approved without much conversation. But I want to point out that initially, I like this movie, Paranormal 3, better than Paranormal 1. And that's because there was less dead time, more creepiness, and actual scares along the way. As, as sequels, Vic was just talking about this, sequels often feel the necessary compulsion to up their, the ante, up their game, and somehow transcend, or at least <laughs> escalate the game that the first movie was playing. So I think by that standard, Paranormal 3 is objectively better because it realizes that they got to grab you by the throat more than the first movie did. And they have an amazing bit with the camera moving with an oscillating fan, which is absolutely genius, I think, in terms of filmmaking. Oh, yeah, I remember that. There are, there are some really good payoffs with it, but it's really as much about the suspense of waiting for the payoff than it is the actual scare. But... I, I think this movie can even be interpreted as a forerunner to Hereditary in some ways. Um, and there are some dopey story logic things that keep it from being a classic by any means. But I do think it's a very solid, modern, found footage haunted house movie. It learns a lot of lessons from the earlier paranormal activity movies. And, and really, found footage was kind of taking off at this point. We'd had The Last Exorcism and, and some of those movies. We hadn't yet gotten to the modern classic Devil's Past, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. I, I remember having much the same reaction of going, oh, this is, this is just a better movie. Uh, and even though it does have some dopey, some kind of clunky bits – 
I actually really liked the mythology that they were introducing here. Yeah. And that I, I think as they built on it in further sequels, that sort of led to diminishing returns. But here to really, the, you know, the idea of really creating mythology and really being able to give you just enough to, to sort of satisfy your need for explanations, but still leave lots of mystery and, and really taking advantage of the format. I remember finding this movie really scary. Are you with us, Rich? Rich, <laughs> Rich? I, I am. Rich, stew. <laughs> you guys, this stew is very good. How is that stew? Is it filled with, like, you know, the bone marrow of victims oh, or yeah. something? It, re- it reveals a fascinating mythology at the end. <laughs> <laughs> really builds on its predecessors. So I did not get to rewatch this. I actually consciously did not choose this one to rewatch because I had a hunch that you guys were going to be in, in agreement on it. Um, I can't say that I'm going to give it my vote. I don't remember it well enough. This is the one that ends with with kind of like a, a reveal. Like it, it delves deeper into the mythology at the end. Well, that's uh, – uh, yeah, don't give anything away. But that's kind of what I was alluding to with Hereditary. And, and yeah, I mean we don't want to have any spoilers. But I think that the, the mythology informs the ending in an effective way. Can we say that, yeah. Rich? Yeah, so I do remember I remember liking that about it. You mentioned the fan shot. I mean, generally speaking, I I think I actually watched the three of these back to back at some point one weekend, like like one, two, and three. And I did have the same reaction where I like you said, it seems like they sort of like learn from the mistakes of their predecessors. I don't even dislike paranormal activity too, and I saw that a, a few times. Um, I've never seen so, it. Oh really? No, oh, yeah. no. I mean it, 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 it kinda had I a bad reputation. I remember it being decent um rich likes movies that have bad reputations but uh, yeah apparently i like movies with bad reputations. <laughs> and um, women with bad reputations yeah. <laughs> but I, I do i do generally recall this movie favorably even though nothing in particular stands out well i guess uh it's in then right so yeah. there you go 22 we're definitely in the range of underdogs from this point further but uh that's that's fine because because you never know and these movies deserve mention so we're back to you rich for the record uh john is the one who put this movie sort of like really back on my radar so sorry to, to take it away from you john but i am going to throw out a uh, house the 1980s it's william cat right is the name of the the lead actor in it yes it is um, the greatest american hero himself <laughs> wow vic this... uh, so many so few of our <laughs> audiences are going to get that but god damn it i do i get that reference yeah. i bet i bet uh, i bet rich's aunt will uh, will get that <laughs> <laughs> she's she's going to love it as soon as she figures out what the podcasts are <laughs> I don't know how else you describe this movie other than it's just an 80s romp. The music's done by the guy who did Friday the 13th, and it feels like it uh, from the get-go. Fred Decker of Night of the Creeps did the, did the story. It sort of has this hokey kind of PG-13 vibe going forward. I think the movie actually is PG-13. I certainly remember watching it when I was a kid. And despite that, I don't I didn't actually really remember any of the plot points of it. I wouldn't call it a horror comedy, but it certainly treats everything with kind of a light hand. It's full of like a lot of practical, like latex uh, monsters and effects. But it has a few clever ideas. It's sort of it's basically a, a haunted house story where this guy moves into the house of his, I think is his mother or his grandmother um, who has gone who has disappeared. 
there's some sort of backstory about how he had lost his son, believing his son had like drowned in the pool in the backyard and then disappeared. And also he is a writer who is sort of reliving his Vietnam experience while writing his memoirs. And all of that is somehow wrapped up as he works through his, uh, his Vietnam PTSD and is sucked into this world of monsters living inside his house um, behind mirrors and closet doors and, and stuff like that. It also features George Went from, from Cheers, uh, for all those of you who are new to podcasts. And <laughs> um, playing sort of a, a comedy comic relief neighbor. I mean, it's just like it's just kind of 80s cheese. It is definitely not taking itself too seriously. I definitely want to emphasize the monsters element of it. I can't tell you the last time I saw so many like rubber gloves in a movie <laughs> being employed for scare effects. Um, so it's, it's novel to say the least, but there was still something that I found. Maybe it was just the nostalgia, but I did find kind of captivating about it. Vic, I'm sorry. I got to jump in here. I normally, I would throw it to you here, but I have to say, Rich, like you, you, you ran the gamut. You covered the full spectrum there. That was better. This was going to be one of my nominees and, and you definitely, you did it better than I would have. So I'll just chime in my my comments on it. You know, it doesn't entirely hold up, but this was legitimately one of my favorites as a teenager. And I, I do think it is a nearly perfect blend of horror comedy that just goes in crazy directions. It combines elements that you never would think could gel, but somehow they do. This is a ballsy, bizarre, classic 80s movie. And it, it, it has really stuck with me. Watching it again for this show, I, I still found it a ton of fun. And I think it actually generates suspense quite masterfully in several very clever set piece sequences that are tonally, there are like a third comedic, a third dramatic, and a third horror. And as, as Rich already nailed, it, it doesn't, this movie doesn't take itself too seriously, but it doesn't ask you to take it too seriously. And what really makes the movie work, I think, is that at the same time that that is true, the stakes for the protagonist, Roger Cobb, I love his name for some reason, I don't know why, um, <laughs> <laughs> that always sticks with me, Roger Cobb, um, the stakes for him are very high, and the movie does take that seriously. It's really primally a father and a man dealing with you know significant threats to to what he holds dear. And I think all of that absolutely makes everything else work. So I, I love this movie. And uh, even though like it doesn't fit my usual litmus test of it's, it's gotta be terrifying. I just, I absolutely think that it's, it's a great haunted house movie. So I'm seconding that nomination wholeheartedly. Vic, where do you stand? Oh, Oh, I'm sorry, John. Did, did you want to hear what I have, what I have to say? Uh, well, I guess you know your 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 comments at this point are nominal. Oh, yeah. They're, they're really irrelevant. they're really irrelevant. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, no, I actually so I I knew via our uh, our our text thread that uh, that you guys had seen this and were enjoying it. I have not revisited it since I was a kid. I can only say that I loved it when I was a kid, uh, and I can't wait to watch it again. 
So I, and I have just as we as we've been talking about it and since it sort of popped back into my consciousness, it's been kind of fun for me to try and reach back and and what images do I remember? Um, you know, what's what sort of leaps out at me? I mean, not not least is the cover from the the VHS store so with good. the disembodied oh, hand yeah. ringing the doorbell. <clears throat> and I think the tagline is ding dong, you're dead. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say you... th- this would be a top. I mean, I don't, I don't know how we quantify, but that is a, an amazing poster, an amazing yeah. poster. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I, I also think just. I think we've all talked about watching this as kids, and I do remember this element of this is about a dad rescuing his son ultimately, and so yeah. I think there was something about that that really connected with me. I remember a lot of the Vietnam stuff and his uh, again his sort of PTSD and and wrestling with his responsibility for what he did there. Something to do with his ex-wife. Yeah, it has a very light touch, as Rich mentioned, but the fundamentals are, of drama are rock solid. This is sort of the one of those movies that will be really interesting to match up against some of the, the maybe the stronger contenders just to see how those elements play out against maybe more serious elements or something that's, you know, that's, that's more restrained or that takes itself more seriously. Uh, I think there, there will be some value in putting this up against other movies and seeing what, what that tells us about them. I, I do have a, yeah, I do have a couple of thoughts about it. One is that I do wonder if you remove the nostalgia element of it, is it still appealing or is it all, or does it sort of survive on its nostalgia um, for us, not that not, not that the nostalgia isn't a good thing to evaluate a movie with, but you know, like like Changeling, for example, is like not really my era. So it's like I feel kind of removed a little bit from the nostalgia of that particular time, and I feel like that makes it less charming. I don't know. I'm I'm curious to how this film would be viewed by you know my nephew. Yeah, I think that's a really valid point because. On the one hand, this is such an 80s movie, and I do have a warmth towards the 80s. But at the same time, I think it's walking a tightrope successfully that very, very few films do. You know, like uh, there's a lot of 80s horror comedies that I wouldn't say are good. You know, like this is this is really on the short list with things like Return of the Living Dead, where it, it, it all works. And I... I you know, watching this again now, like I, I think I was completely open to the idea that I would say, eh, this is this is this is cheese ball. I, I understand why I dug it, you know, back in the day, but you know, it doesn't it doesn't hold water anymore. And no, goddammit, like it's even though there are some corny things about the movie, like it's really kind of very well written and, and well executed. So, like, I, I think it's it's better than it looks. But even though, like, I can't totally argue with somebody, you know, some millennial who would say, oh, my God, that movie, that's ridiculous. Yes, it is ridiculous. And you either are okay with that or like it or, or you're not. And so I can't tell you you're a, an idiot if you don't like this movie. But I want to point out real quick that between Paranormal Activity 3, which I, I nominated, and House, which Rich nominated, like, that was a complete coin toss for me. Ultimately, I, I might, if, if we somehow, and that's not going to happen because they're both at the bottom of the tier, 
but if if we matched paranormal activity three and house like i might choose house over that so it's a unique animal so vic what's your unique animal uh for your next nominee i just want to know rich did, does your nephew listen to the podcast because <laughs> we, he might be an interesting voice to get on you know never mind it's fine but I, I just I, I like the idea that we're slowly roping in every uh, element of of Rich's family into the podcast. Yeah, we can have him on next time. Him and my aunt will be on for uh for the first round of seeds. <laughs> Amazing. I'm gonna go, uh, just sticking with uh sort of uh, that the the period, and I think this is a classic. It is not a great movie, but I do think it's hard to talk about the haunted house genre without talking about the Amityville horror. Obviously, based on a on a very famous book, it has some very culturally significant elements to it. I mean, just the image of the house. I'm not sure. Even The Shining. I'm not sure there's a house that that so visually feels like a character uh, that feels malevolent just from just from the shot of it. I mean, the the house that they got for that is just fantastic and i just have to say i mean it's look the the movie is very flawed uh i think i i seem to remember brolin being very good in sort of a gruff 70s uh bearded sort of way and uh margot kidder obviously very good i mean murray hamilton has to be represented in every category i think <laughs> on some level we all love murray hamilton the real experience that i had with this was i at one point in my uh, in my screenwriting career i had the chance to pitch uh for a reboot that i i think actually wound up being the one with jennifer jason lee that really got dumped i've never seen it but um i had the chance to pitch for it and so i spent hours one night going through and looking there's so much material about this house uh, it was actually investigated by the Warrens from The Conjuring at one point and watching interviews with the family and like documentary clips about the original uh, DeFeo murders that happened there. And it was like 1 a.m. I was we were in, living in this one bedroom apartment and I got up and one of the things I learned to do was before you go to bed, turn on the light in the hall so that when you turn off all the other lights in the living room, you don't have to walk in the dark back to the bedroom. So at one in the morning, my wife was already asleep. I walked back. I turned on the hall light, and the hall light went pop and and went out. And I went, holy shit, I'm going to bed. And I just went right to bed, and I left all the lights on the house. Wow. (laughs) So there is is some power to this story. Uh, Again, I, I find the true story elements to be extremely dubious. But somehow just couching it in that, even if it's not real, even if you're not really sure if you believe that, just having those words in front of it and having all these videos of them talking about these experiences and stuff lends it a little extra power uh, that I think helps make up for a lot of the other shortcomings in the film. Well, I haven't seen this movie in a million years, but I agree it does kind of feel obligatory to include, I mean, for serious uh, consideration, just because... It, it lays so much bedrock for future haunted house movies, the modern haunted house movie. And I don't remember it being tame, so I, I think I'm good with it. I don't know how well it's going to hold up, but I, I, I'm i certainly not going to stand in your way, Vic, on this nomination. I will say that Amityville 3D is an objectively bad movie, 
but I think I enjoyed it more as I recall. Great video cover, though. Yes, yes, it is. I think it's a claw lunging towards the foreground or whatever. But in in any event, like at worst, that movie is so bad it's good. And with the original, beyond James Brolin slowly going crazy, I don't remember all that much specifically. So I think this is this is a wild card. But it, it definitely is something that if you're doing a, a show about haunted house films, like we can't just um, give it a glancing treatment. So in, in my book, it's 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 in as number twenty four. Rich, uh, what are your thoughts? I am pulling a full like four oh four error on this movie. I don't think I've ever seen it, mm. and I only know it by name. I think I used to get it confused with The Omen for some reason. I also think it's one of those movies that I was raised in a, in a pretty liberal household media-wise. Um, my parents let me watch just about anything and everything, which explains a few of the movies I have in my back catalog. <laughs> um, but for some reason, this was one of those movies where I think they drew the line. So uh, I guess I'd be excited to find out if there's a reason why. That's a weird line to draw. <laughs> It was like this and like Manhunter. Those were like the only two movies they ever wouldn't let me watch. <laughs> because you mentioned Amityville 3D, number one, starring the great Tony Roberts, who very rarely got a chance to actually yeah. lead a movie. But uh, boy, as a Woody Allen fan, I love Tony Roberts. Number two, I will never forget there is a scene where somebody drops something in the garbage disposal. And so she like puts her she's like got her hand down there and some guy comes in and is like whoa 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 like what are you doing and he's like you gotta do this and he puts like tape over the switch on the garbage disposal and then sticks his hand down and then the house flicks the switch i have never cleaned out a garbage disposal without thinking about that movie so many movies play games with garbage disposals but how many of them actually go there and have something happen so yeah. that's a that's a valid point. And I also think that uh Tony Roberts is I'm not gonna use a politically incorrect term, but his fro is epic. Uh, I'll just say <laughs> that. <laughs> you know what I mean. But yeah. <laughs> the man has some hair. I had I had a sort of a, a sort of a wide ranging segue that I did want to fit in really quick that uh since the last podcast I got a chance to go back and finish uh Terrified. Um, which we voted in the first round. Uh, I bring it up because that movie actually opens with a little bit of sync-related terror. I'm definitely excited to get into it further. I will say that I felt like that was, uh, in terms of discoveries, that and one other movie I think were my top discoveries of this whole uh, process. What a fun movie that is. Like I can't wait to break it down. It's got a few problems. Um, but by and large, uh, really happy after I finished it. That excites me, Rich, because, yeah, that is one that I hope we give the full loving autopsy to because I think it's it's worth it. And it sounds like we will. So that's 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 exciting to me. OK, so I'm gunning for our 25th nomination slot here. And I'm going to be honest, I, I sort of anticipated your guys's picks. So. I'm going to let you have them, and some of them I sort of feel like, you know, we've we've shared our list to, to a degree, and I'm looking for more outliers that I, I want to champion, but we're at the point where uh, I think these are, these are a bit more of a long shot, let's say. So I'm going to say Dead Birds is next here, and this is a pretty obscure movie that most people aren't that familiar with. 
And this is definitely a Mike Kuchek memorial film because uh, I remember how much he loved this when we first moved out to L.A. Uh, many moons ago. It didn't have the same impact for me, but back to the military horror genre, which I, I think this does fit into. And I'm also a fan of period horror in general, so I, I really appreciated the setup of this film quite a bit. Ultimately, I do think it feels more like an episode of an anthology show than a really satisfying feature. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of giving it a, a tepid endorsement rather than really strongly championing it. So, did did either of you guys happen to check this film out? I did. So I I turned it on. I was skeptical because the cover, is, the thumbnail is does not look good. Right off the bat, it, it like it looks a little cheap. Watching the credits, I will say, well, like as the as the cast comes up in the credits, you're like, oh my god, like Mike Michael Shannon's in this. Oh yeah. And uh, what's what's his name? The big burly dude who we just saw in uh, Halloween two. Oh uh, I, yeah, that that classic character actor from so many things. Mark Boone Jr. Yes, yes thank you. Thank you. It's it's got a good cast. And then just a little like personal anecdote for me, it turns out I've actually worked very closely with the guy who edited this movie. I did a true crime show where he was the editor on it, and I saw his name pop up and had no idea that he had done a few low-budget horror movies. Uh, so that was exciting to see. I'm with you on enjoying period horror. For some reason, I have a soft spot for a... Uh, this reminded me of uh, Ginger Snaps 2, which was a... <laughs> yeah. A civil, I believe it was a Civil War set werewolf movie. It's set in a fort. Yeah, it just, it just like, it, it feels sort of novel. Um, that said, uh, this was, I did not find this to be a very enjoyable film. While I thought the monsters were kind of interesting, and there were some practical effects that really went for it um, in a way that was a lot of fun to see executed, it just, uh, it felt like just sort of like a, a bunch of, kind of ham-handed like creature feature scares and some some tepid drama that like didn't really pull me through i was a little bummed out by it to be honest i was kind of i went in with an open mind i was hoping to be entertained ultimately i didn't get there with it i hope i didn't oversell it that's for sure uh no i, I wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't say so i just saw it on your list and, and i thought mm -hmm. i thought well i should check it out i did want to try to see as much as i could so i actually saw this near when it came out uh i have not revisited it since then i remember this being again interesting this is uh at least the second time i think that henry thomas has made an appearance yep, yep. <laughs> on our on our list so i remember it i like the i mean i remember it sort of vaguely it didn't make a huge impression on me i actually like the the western trappings as well uh, i'm a big fan of horror westerns and i feel like that's a there's there's a lot of room to to for improvement in that. So I, my general feeling of it is ambiguous. I saw it. I sort of read up on it. Uh, tried to decide if it was one that I wanted to revisit for this. I remember being yeah, just a little underwhelmed. Basically, I think to quote you, Vic. Bah, bah! <laughs> it's a sacrificial lamb. <laughs> so, no, we can dispense with that one. All right. I'll warn you in advance. I have I have one more that I think might be a contender, and after that, I feel like I'll, everything I have is a sacrificial lamb from here on out. But I will go ahead and throw out this one, which 
Uh, a, I do actually have some doubts that it that it fully belongs in this category, but I do think it fits right in there with The Conjuring as sort of like a, a modern touchstone. Um, and that's Insidious, which might be a Blumhouse film. I don't know. You tell me, Vic. It certainly feels like one. It, it is. It is. Okay, great. Excellent. It, it, and it is James Wan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Lee Wan-El uh, wrote it, if, if memory serves me correctly, who's having uh, his own resurgence right now with Invisible Man, um, which that's exciting. Um, I do remember this movie more so than The Conjuring. I remember this movie being uh, especially the first third to half of it, which is really the, the true haunted house portion of it being genuinely sort of like edge of your seat scary the the ghost as they slowly reveal it is pretty terrifying when it shows up or whatever you want to call it the 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 spirit there is sort of an argument to be made that this is not you know we have carved out a separate genre which we called roaming ghost and not to give away the twist in this film but like this really is a roaming ghost movie in the sense that it, it you know it ends up following the the family when they move out of the haunted house and follows them into a new house which is kind of a, a twist in the movie sorry but you've had time to, to see it and after that it becomes sort of this wacky like these ghost hunters get involved and suddenly like you're in sort of a quasi uh comedy um where you have these like bumbling uh ghost hunters who come in and they're they're traveling into the spirit realm and like it kind of goes all over the map at the end um, but really that first half of the of the film where you're just relying on tension and there's a, a you know mom with a young child and and if I remember correctly the, the kid is, is is seeing things that the parents can't see uh, were pretty effective. I want to jump in and just volunteer this because when we're dealing with haunted house films, there is this very rigid set of tropes and rules that we're expected to abide by. And one of them is that, the the ghost is attached to the place. And so for so many of these movies, they struggle to isolate the characters in a way that they don't just leave the house. I mean, that's, I always say when I have this discussion, the ending of Poltergeist is them checking into a motel. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, that is the, the absurdity that anyone who tackles a haunted house film has to justify. Why do, why do they stay in this place? And so Insidious, you're absolutely right about the twist that they pull in this. I think it still qualifies as a haunted house film because the fact is that paranormal activity pulls the same stunt. When the when the priest comes in, what he says is that the they shouldn't move because the it wouldn't do any good, that the ghost is attached to, to Katie Featherstone uh, mm-hmm. and not the house. Yes, they move houses once. Really what they're doing is coming up with a method of isolating them within the house uh, in order to let the rest of the tropes of the haunted house story play out. So I, I think it still fits. This is just that that's one way of isolating them that it's attached to the, the, the person, not the house. And yes, they move houses once, but really it's still, I think it, the like paranormal activity, it still follows all the rest of the the broad strokes of the haunted house movie and i agree it's i think it's 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 60 percent effective it's pretty scary there's a there's a couple of very scary jump scares and and some good imagery i do find all the stuff that takes place in the further 
that that sort of gets a little silly because you're in this kind of no stakes spirit realm mm-hmm. um, it, that has again has some cool imagery and everything else, but it's just not. It, I, I don't know. It gets it 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 loses something when it introduces that. Although Lin Shay uh, among the ghost hunters really is wonderful. It's been it's been really nice to see her have sort of a resurgence as a genre actress. You do raise a, a very interesting question that I think like our listeners will be wondering about, which is why did we split this into two categories? You know, we have the haunted house genre where we're very much trying to limit it to one location, uh, even, or, you know, fudging it slightly, but versus ghosts, what we're calling roaming ghosts, which are, you know, completely uninhibited based on location. And they will, they will just follow you like a dog with a bone. They're relentless. And I think there are the reason we did that is because there are so many movies <laughs> in this general genre that like we could cut them in half in that way, and roughly half of them are haunted house movies, and roughly half of them are you know very similar. They're still ghosts, but that's the ghost that follows you from place to place. But I think it's arguable that if we had kept them in one category, we might have. 32 awesome movies and as opposed to kind of filling out the back half with you know stuff that none of us are going to say are classics but you know i think i think ultimately this is going to be the most uh interesting and 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 give good movies you know their time to shine which is really ultimately what we're trying to do here so i i think i stand by the decision but yeah there's going to be gray area here and i do think insidious belongs in this category However, like The Conjuring, I remember finding this movie fairly ridiculous and roughly about as scary as your standard paranormal activity sequel. There are some creepy ghosts, though, and great imagery related to that. So points scored for sure. I'm not going to object very strenuously to it coming in at this point in our process. 25 or something is where this movie is going to slot in. But I do want to say that uh, I'm not terribly excited to watch this movie again. And I, I will say that Rich hated Sinister, which I, I did look into. And it's actually it's a Roman ghost movie, so it's not relevant. But I did I did like Sinister better than this. So that's all I'm going to say. Well, at least we don't have to watch Sinister. <laughs> Yet, Rich. Just wait. Yeah. Roaming Ghost. I, I, I like Sinister too. Roaming Ghost 2024. Wait, sorry. I should be clear. I like Sinister as well. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, Rich, you're probably going to have to watch Sinister at some point. All right. So for my pick, uh, I'm going to go with another fairly modern. Am I going to go modern? Am I going to go old school? You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go old school. I may not get any support on this. I'm cool with it. Uh, the Legend of Hell House. I love Roddy McDowell. I love the Richard Matheson book that it's based on. Uh, it has a very 70s vibe to it. Uh, it has a, a a very weird, in keeping with that 70s vibe, it has this very weird sexual component to it. Uh, it's about a, a scientist who who... who uh, thinks that he has a machine that's going to prove the existence of the supernatural, and this is the most haunted house uh, in history. And so he brings a, a team of psychics to the house. 
well, I guess it's kind of a cliched setup. We don't. I feel like we don't see this setup too much anymore, but it feels like something that we saw uh, a lot in the past in the haunting and and some of that kind of stuff. I think that's a very valid point that you just kind of stumbled into. Is that this is sort of like a weird clone? Or Richard Matheson wrote the book, so I don't want to you know cast any throw any stones because he's awesome. But this feels like a, a, a total ripoff of haunting of hill house i mean am i crazy or like did we both agree to to that sort of unconsciously it is but i think it has it has some very different elements i actually i like the the backstory in the mystery that they uncover in this i feel like is actually more interesting i don't know it's a little more garish like it almost it almost feels like the 70s giallo films the colors and the music cues and everything i think it's very distinctive uh, now again, if you guys aren't on board, I'm not going to fight to the death over this. Uh, but it is a it is a movie that I enjoy, and uh, I would I would be willing to to revisit again uh, and see where it, where it fits in this list. My parents went through a stretch without cable for a while, and then when I was like 14, we finally got Encore, which was new at the time. Encore mostly featured movies from the 70s, and every now and then they would have boobs. And I remember, <laughs> I remember, I do not think this movie had boobs. It does not rank favorably with me for that reason. Ooh, you know, can't argue with that. That's the extent of my relationship with it. So, sorry. I just poured myself another whiskey. Um, okay. <laughs> Which is definitely a good idea. Yeah, I'll, I'll thank myself tomorrow. All right, uh, listen, Vic... I mean, I already said part of my spiel here, and I'm I'm not going to argue over much negatively, because I do believe this this movie has its place, and I only have vague memories of seeing it once, and I do believe that the atmosphere that it creates is quite palpable, and as a classical, old-school, haunted house movie, it's more than solid. But my general perception was that it's kind of standard issue, and it doesn't really have any strong distinguishing characteristics that would have put it in my personal pantheon. And and as I said, the, the makeup of the characters and everything is so reminiscent of The Haunting of Hill House that I don't, you know, I'm not going to put my finger on, you know, who wrote what when. I certainly think that Shirley Jackson's book is an absolute classic. So this does kind of feel like a cut-rate ripoff in some ways. But I'm not going to say that when I saw it, you know, I was like, this sucks. So my last nominee was Dead Birds, and I backed off of it instantly. So I I, I can't fight you, Vic, because we're trying to come up with 32 movies here. So I don't know. Rich, you know, should should we just put it in, or do you have stronger feelings about you know, should we revisit Let's Scare Jessica to Death at this point? Or Stir of Echoes, maybe? I think, wait, wait, guys, I, I, I think there's a few other uh, strong contenders. So if we're not strong, if we're not, we don't feel good about this, put it aside. Okay. I mean, John, I, I, I do think that you are standard issue, and that's fine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, we can, again, we can, maybe we can throw this at the bottom of the maybe pile okay but that's like that's the or we can we can count it out you're not going to hurt my feelings as as hard as you try well we did eliminate the black coat's daughter because it's it's not a haunted house movie but yeah we'll put haunting of whatever this is called <laughs> hell house <laughs> it's such John, a you 
Son of a bitch. Everybody take a drink. <laughs> ah, you know, at this point in the pod, everyone needed a drink. So thank mm. you. Thank you, Vic. All right, All right. Rich, uh, any any comments on that? Or should we move forward with this uh, decision? No, I mean, I was, as a tiebreaker, I Googled Hell House nudity, but now I regret that. So. <laughs> <laughs> also, Rich, that's now in your, in your search history forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gonna come back to bite me in the ass. Um, I can't wait to see the Facebook ads that pop up the next time you scroll. Uh, I do. N- uh, wait, whose turn? It's, no, it's John's turn. Yeah, I, yeah. I got, I got, not- I got nothing else to say on on this movie. I'm sorry, I do not, I do not have enough reference for it. Um, but I don't remember it very favorably. All right. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know why I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel here, but um, I'm going to say I am a ghost, which I mentioned to you guys via text. And yeah, this is this is kind of another sacrificial lamb, but I think it's worth noting. It, it's a it's a haunted house movie about haunted, haunted house movies, and it really does actively try to subvert a lot of the tropes that we're so accustomed to. And yeah, in the last 10 to 15 years... We've seen the basic premise before, but it has some distinctive elements and for me, a very genuine fear factor that pays off where it should, which is the end of the film. But this is an ultra low budget movie and very obscure, so I'm I'm basically punting it out there to say that diehard horror fans that have no idea what I Am a Ghost is should should seek the film out. You mentioned this one pretty late in the game, and I so I have not had a chance to, to check it out. So I'm I'm not familiar with it. Uh, yeah, ditto. All right, let's put it in the maybe pile. You know? <laughs> All right, because <laughs> I am. Yep. I, I have to say, full disclosure, I looked at our list, and I am not going to nominate something that one or either or both of you nominated. So that's why I'm throwing out this this type of stuff. Gotcha. Uh, All, All right. right, back to Rich. Man, so I am sort of in the same boat as you, John. I have one other movie that I am excited about, but it was a movie that was brought to me by by Vic. So I'm gonna wait and let him do the uh, the honors on that one. No, no, no. So you can you can dive into that if you want, dude. Okay, fine. I will take I will take Vic's movie then. So Vic throughout Ghost Stories, uh, which is mm-hmm. it turns out that there is. It's a British movie that was released in 2017, I think. Yeah. Um, there is also an Indian film of the same name on Netflix um, that was released last year. They are not the same thing. Um, I'm glad you corrected that, Rich, because somebody said 2019, but no, this is 2017. This is a movie. I, this was just like this was just such a a fun ride for me. Actually, I would put it up higher on the list if I hadn't seen it so late in the game. Um, it is an anthology movie. It actually reminds me, I, I feel like it would be an excellent pairing um, against Terrified. They have similar structures where what they what they really are deep down are is it's an anthology movie that is pretty deeply woven into a broader storyline where you're, you're really just using one character who kind of spans across the three stories and walks you through everything. Now, where they differ is that Ghost Stories has these three. The, the essential premise of the movie is that it's about this guy who's a debunker of paranormal uh, phenomenon. 
Um, so he goes and he busts psychics or mediums and, and sort of like explains how what they're doing is, is bullshit. He is contacted by someone who is like a, who is also a similar psychic debunker um, in the past who had, had long since disappeared. This person reaches out to him and he says, I have these three cases and, and, the, and they'll convince you that, you know, the paranormal phenomenon is real. And so the guy goes one by one and talks to these three people who witnessed these ghost sightings and they tell their story. Each one of these stories is strong. Um, they're all kind of like stories about individuals who encountered a ghost. It's enough to call it a haunted house movie, I'd say, because the scares are certainly designed that way. It's all about a person who's sort of in an isolated environment. There's a, a spirit that certainly like means them means them ill and you get a little scare out of it. For me, these stories were really effective, but where the movie really takes off is when you get about 50 minutes in and you've gone through the, the three tales and you realize there is a bigger story surrounding the protagonist that attempts to kind of pull the threads of these these stories together, but also just becomes a total, for lack of a better term, mindfuck of an end. Um, I found the whole thing to be pretty shocking and just taking turns that I never saw coming. Really enjoyed this movie. I was really interested in this movie because it's it's based on a British play that started running in like 2010 uh, and has run for years and years at different theaters over there. I was actually in London about six years ago, and my wife and I decided that we were going to go see a play. And the marketing for this play... There's no production stills. It's all pictures of the audience, like individual audience members like freaking out. And they have very strict warnings that they don't want anyone under 15 to come see it. So we went and saw Matilda instead, <laughs> uh, wow. which is sort of the opposite. And so then when I saw that the movie came out and it got sort of good review, I thought, well, I, I, I kind of want to check this out. Um, it's got Martin Freeman in the cast. And I mean, the rest of the cast is obviously awesome because Britain just produces great actors like no other country. And so uh, I sort of had the opposite reaction of rich. I really liked the beginning and I liked the, the content of the stories. There is a really shocking moment about 50 minutes in that just took my breath away. And then it, it does take a, a very weird and surreal turn that I liked less it kind of lost me a little bit you either go with that or you don't and so if rich liked that great i think it's again i think it's a good movie uh, i'd be interested to talk about it more and to see how it pairs up against some of these other movies it's very character driven and and uh it has some some complex thematic ideas it's a it, like i said it's a it's a it's a good solid movie i'm i'm uh, i'm happy to talk about it it was on my list yeah i'm i'm inclined to uh, ratify the nomination. I mean, I did see it once uh, a couple of years ago, and I, I did find it quite original and to be a satisfying anthology, which I very much appreciate. It didn't blow me away, but it's a first-rate production, and it tries to hit the bullseye for this subgenre. Like, it's very actively concerned with playing with our conceptions of ghosts. And so I give it a lot of credit for that, and I'm certainly willing to include it here as I'm somewhat flailing around for 32 movies. So 
Yeah, let's it's let's put it in there. Vic, uh, we're back to you. What is your next nomination? I think this is one that we can we can pretty much agree on because I do think this is a movie that subverts the expectations that we have going into haunted house movies. I don't want to give too much away if you haven't seen it, but if you haven't seen it, it's really your fault because it's an older movie. Uh, I'm going to go with Alejandro Amenabar's The Others. Uh, starring Nicole Kidman. It's an interesting take on the Haunted House film. It's very well directed. It's very sort of moody. Uh, you basically have the the concept of a, a period piece, the woman whose husband is away, uh, I think in World War One. She has two kids cursed with a medical condition that they cannot be exposed to sunlight. And so there's this this wonderfully creepy trope that all the doors have to be locked so that they can't wander into any area where there might be sun and the psychological effect that this takes on them. And of course, then things start to get creepy and weird. There's a couple of very indelible images, uh, not least the, the, the little girl kind of in a, with a elderly woman's face and, and a veil and stuff on. And, uh, that one has, has always stuck with me. I, I, Definitely remember seeing this in the movie theater when it came out, uh, and I've seen it once or twice since then. It's a solid movie, and again, especially because of what it does with a lot of the tropes that we've been talking about, the way that it subverts them, I think it definitely belongs on the uh, in the in the dance in the competition here. This is a movie that I feel like maybe I've just misjudged. Um, I saw this, you know, way back when it came out and my feeling on it was kind of like the way you describe your feelings about the conjuring. Like I remember feeling like it was sort of a glossy Hollywood ghost movie with a sixth sense esque twist on it that it seemed fine, but like nothing really notable to me. I was surprised when we started doing research for this season that just about any list of haunted house movies that you will look up online will include this film. Um, and so I was kind of astounded by that fact. So I feel like it's, it's a do a revisit for me personally, um, but I don't have any strong feelings associated with it. I think it suffered because it came out very soon after the sixth sense. And that was very much the, the feeling I think at the time was that it was a good movie, but that it's twist wasn't as good as the twist in the sixth sense. Uh, and they do share a certain connection in the way that the twist plays out. It, it just kind of paled in that shadow. Although I think this is more, more strongly belongs in certainly in a haunted house discussion, but even in, in as a horror movie in general, I think this belongs more strongly in 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 that discussion. I bet it's going to play well in a revisit. I will say right. it's definitively a haunted house movie. It gets the benefit of being squarely in the subgenre that we're talking about, and revisiting it it increased my respect for the movie. But I mean, I do kind of come down to the fact that it's only scary for two to five minutes of its running time. And yeah, I mean, the fact that you, you mentioned the, you know, the old lady in the little girl's body, so to speak, you know, the way that's staged is very effective, as was parodied in Scary Movie 1, 2, or 3, you know, one of them. <laughs> like, it, it had an iconic quality to it that needed to be 
addressed and acknowledged and and that's great but most of this film is a supernatural mystery so avoiding spoilers i will say that the thrust of the film and its outcome is not a horror movie at all so i don't really think it belongs in a tournament of horror movies i think it's horror in name only a hino <laughs> And this is, fits into the category of a good movie. I, I respect this movie, but it's hard for me to ever think about advancing it in our tournament because I I think it's it's not really a horror movie, and that's that's one of my litmus tests. So I'm inclined like. Look, we're we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here, but I really want to know what Rich thinks because. I could I could go either way on this. Well, then you'd you'd have to nominate it, and I'd have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you got you got you got to pay to get into that game, buddy. <laughs> let's, let's let's put it in the um in the maybe pile then, because I it... mean, uh, like I like I said, like I I hear your point, John, but I for everything I know about this movie, it certainly seems like you would file this as a horror movie, regardless of how much it scared you or not. I obviously could speak to it better when I've seen it, but it's, it certainly seems like it is a gothic horror tale. Um, even if it's not, you know, a truly horrific movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to argue strenuously if, if we put it in there, but I, I mean, I do think we should put it in, in the maybe pile because even like compared to the changeling, I, I, I'm not sure this is truly a horror film. So that's just, that's my perspective. Poor changeling. <laughs> no, I mean like uh, the, the changeling at least ends in somewhat of a batshit nuts, dark way. And this movie, like again, no spoilers, but it does not. So we'll see. Okay. So it's back to you, Rich. Um, anything left in the tank? <laughs> Uh, no, I think it's your turn. I oh, think it's your turn. Yeah. Right? God damn it. Yeah. I suck at this. All right. Okay. <laughs> 32 is uh, a lot, man. It's late. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. I'm going to mention a 1989 film called The Church, which I gave you guys absolutely no opportunity to watch. I, I did not mention it, but... I remember this being a possession movie uh, along the lines of demons or, you know, a lot of Italian horror. And I think that some people consider it a part of a, a timeline. It might be the Suspiria timeline, the sort of an unofficial sequel, uh, some people would say. But the synopsis says that it's ghosts, and it is mostly one location, which is the church, a cathedral. So I, I think it's worthy of mention and I remember liking this movie enough to buy it. So, I mean, I think that is one of the strong endorsements that if we're talking about movies that matter to us, I think that this movie did matter to me. So I need to I need to make sure it, it's noticed. It's in the top third or so of Italian horror movies. We don't really have to delve into it in detail right now, but it's it's a very disturbing, gory, you know, gruesome, what I love about Italian horror movies. 
and yeah, technically it's it's about ghosts and, and a church. So, um, well, John, I, I can't tell you how relieved I am that we don't have to go into it in detail. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on the maybe pile. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I don't know if you guys are ready for this. I'm okay. I think the last thing I have on my list, it speaks volumes that I haven't brought it up yet, is Grave Encounters. And I feel like we don't actually need to talk about that. So, wait, wait. We only have 26 movies, Vic. <laughs> we... I know. Well, that's what I, sorry. So that's what I was going to say is, is it time to, is it time to jump back into the, our maybe pile and see one, two, three, four, five, six. That fills out our, uh, that, that would fill out our list. Uh, yeah, Rich, do you have any objections to that? I do not have any nominees. I'm, I am definitely out in terms of movies that I'm interested in championing. I am totally fine with going through the maybes and picking out of there. I think that's kind of where where my head was at. Okay. Um, for, okay. What it's, for what it's worth, I do want to throw out that uh, because you both mentioned it, I did go back and watch Grave Encounters. For the first time yesterday, and that is ninety minutes that I'm not getting back yeah. uh, from my life. <laughs> Whoa, a scathing review. Uh, that movie is not good. Wow. No. Okay. Uh, it was a better depiction of reality television than Halloween Resurrection, so it's got that going for it. Yeah, we we love Halloween Resurrection around here, <laughs> but yeah, accurate it might not be. Um, so I just want to say like the, the remaining nominees I had, and I think I should just throw this out would be Crimson Peak, which Mm -hmm. I saw in the theater and I didn't love it, but it had a couple of cool scenes that I found very striking. And I do love the house, like the sort of production design milieu of the movie. It has this huge hole in the roof that's just perpetually allowing snow or rain or whatever the skies send downward to violate the sanctity of the house, which is actually, it's not a house. It's a huge mansion. It's, it's barely horror, this movie, but I think it's pretty impressive visually. So keep that in mind here. And also Dr. Sleep should be mentioned. It's, it's, it's not totally a haunted house movie, but it is technically the sequel to the shining. And I mean, I think if it was fully a category fit, it would probably based on the way our conversations are going, I think it would merit inclusion and we do revisit the overlook in this, in this film and that those were my favorite scenes, but I I think it's, it's pretty dubious to call it a haunted house film. So we don't have to deal with it. I just want to mention it. We talked, we talked about it when we talked about the shining. Did we? Oh yeah. Well from there, let's, let's narrow it down. Does anyone else have any other wild cards that they, want to mention or should we just go straight to the maybe list oh wait guys i just want to point out so we're at 26 correct yep all right so to get to 32 we have six movies in the maybe list so it's no we're not really we're not really culling through the maybe list well, one just, of them is black one of them is black coat's daughter yeah i know i know <laughs> I, yeah. so, so we're really just filling out the list with the maybes which is cool that, that streamlines the, that streamlines the last of the podcast. I almost feel like this is a failing of our 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 system that we have no choice but to 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 put these things in. But you know, like, look, every every category is gonna have its 
sacrificial lambs and its challenges yeah and like i said i mean i think that it is the point is to look at again we're so we're patting out the last six haunted house movies none of these were ever going to be you know the greatest haunted house movies but i i do think it is you know look like talking about house versus the shining like what are the things that are going to come out when we're when we're sort of pairing those movies against each other that's what's going to be interesting yeah um so it's it's more like I I mean I'm happy to have things on here that whatever the things are that are that are disqualifying for them in terms of quality or subject matter matter or anything else but they're going to force us to talk about the others is going to force us to talk about ghost stories haunted house stories from the perspective of the ghosts uh, you know, Stir of Echoes is we're going to have Richard Matheson present since some asshole didn't want to watch uh, uh, The Legend of Hell House. Um, <laughs> no, boo. You know. no, two, two uh, assholes, boo. I think, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, let's scare Jessica to death. We're going to have some hallucinatory 70s shit. Like, let's, you know, it's okay to have that in the discussion when we're when we're talking about these things, even okay. if they're obviously not the best haunted house movies well on the fly i just threw the maybes in and if i'm you know not inaccurate in my assessment we we do have a a three movie log jam at the very bottom which would be i am a ghost the others and the church and those are the ones vying for 32 and you guys haven't seen two of those movies, yeah. so I guess the others is gonna make the cut. Well, John, I'll tell you this: you pick one. You tell me. You tell me which one of those is better, and and we'll throw it in there. I'm okay with that. But if I you're wrong, that. so help you God. So help you God, John. You will pay. <laughs> if any one of them is even a little bit worse than I remember you. <laughs> what what what's so funny about this is our 32 movie is going up against the shining so yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of uh you know it's a ceremonial uh decision i think for the sake of traditionalism let's put the others in there that's our that's our 32 so uh to recap what we've done tonight after what lies beneath which was the end of our last show we have added a tale of two sisters, the conjuring, the changeling, Ouija origin of evil, our point, paranormal activity three, house, Amityville horror, insidious, ghost stories, fourteen oh eight, let's scare Jessica to death, Houseu, stir of echoes, the haunting of Hell House, and the others. Those are our 32 Haunted House films. And when we'll return next time, we'll announce the 16 matchups that will make up the first round. We'll discuss the pairings. And we'll try to tackle the first several of these matchups in fairly rapid-fire fashion. Whichever film prevails will have at least two votes. Though if there's an odd man out, he has the opportunity to sway the others and reverse the outcome. It should be fun. I can't wait, guys. I think this is this is a fucking blast, and I'm really glad we're doing it. I really do want to see how the tropes, the guardrails, the things that define a haunted house film get teased out by these comparisons, the way these films match up together. So I think there's going to be some really interesting stuff there. Again, I don't expect 
the others to uh, to to beat The Shining. But I do want to talk about it a little bit, and I think that there will be some interesting stuff to come out of that. And John hates the Icelandic people. I feel like that's really the, <laughs> the, the big lessons that we're getting out of this. You know, at some point we can talk about that movie, but uh, <laughs> I might fall asleep, and so, so might the audience. <laughs> All right, Rich. What are what are your final thoughts? <laughs> you know, I I feel like it was almost d- dealt with in a as though we're ashamed of it. But I don't think there's anything wrong with going back to the 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 maybe list to to fill out the end of this. At the end of the day, thirty two movies, especially thirty two good movies that fit into a pretty narrow definition is not an easy list to come up with. And I think that the movies on the maybe list are still pretty solid entries. That's why they're maybes. Oh, yeah. Um, so we definitely had a few movies that, that didn't make it at all, um, for various reasons, but at the end of the day, I think we have a pretty solid list. There's nothing on here that I'm really dreading, uh, going back and watching. So I'm with Vic. I think that it will all merit a pretty decent discussion. Yeah. I mean, in the back of my mind, I'm feeling like hindsight is 2020 and down the road, like whether our listeners or ourselves or something will be like, Oh God, why did we put X, Y, or Z movie in there? But, um, we are leaving ourselves the back door. It's not cheating. There might be, we might build into the structure of this something down the road where, uh, there could be some wild cards introduced. So, you never know, and I hope that that all motivates everyone to uh, tell us what their favorites are, and we'll take it seriously. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. So until then, this is John Evans, Vic Wheat, and Rich Eckersley, the March Madmen, signing off. See you next time, everybody. Adios. Good night. There you go. See you.